The Real Chemistry Podcast connects the dots between our guests and the innovative work they do to show up and shape the future of healthcare. Why? So you, the listener, are encouraged to join us on our relentless pursuit to make the world a healthier place for all. Some may call it idealism. We call it real chemistry. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, Chief Marketing Officer of Real Chemistry and host of the Real Chemistry Podcast. Today, I'll be joined by my regular guest host, Jim Weiss, who's our founder and chairman. And we have a repeat guest, a gentleman named Mark Stoos, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Proof Analytics. Today, we're going to lean more into marketing, measurement, and analytics versus straight up healthcare, although we talk about the impact on healthcare companies and really dive into a few different things. The first of which is talking a little bit about privacy cookies, deprecation, and what role that plays in terms of being able to market. Uh, Hint, it should actually be a marketer's friend, not an enemy. The importance of trust, not a surprise, something that's always been important. Where marketing should focus, it's a strong belief that marketers like myself should really be focused on lead gen and upper funnel uh, activities when the reality is they can actually work more closely with sales to close deals and to help move people over the finish line. Um, but in general, I think you're going to find just like how important it is more so than ever, as we've entered a recession or the sort of appearances of a recession that marketing dollars and any kind of promotional dollars need to work harder and better and smarter. And the way you do that is through relentless measurement and analysis and focusing on KPIs and, um, tracking on that old adage that what doesn't get measured doesn't get funded. So I think you'll really appreciate this show. Um, as always, we hope that you stay tuned to the end and, uh, we always appreciate feedback if you'd like to send that through. All right. Well, this is fun because, uh, the three of us here have all known each other for a while. Uh, Mark, you were a client of ours, I think going back eight or nine years when you were the CMO, CCO of one of the B2B tech companies we worked with. Um, you and Jim have known each other for a while. And I think this is going to be a fun dialogue because we're going to talk about marketing performance, measurement, what that means going into a potential recession. And so I think I'd love to kick us off. You had some stats about shrinking marketing budgets and uh, what the impact looks like. And I think it's always good when you could proceed with data. So why don't you kick us off with that? And then we'll get into a dialogue about marketing performance um, maximizing that performance, proving out what you're doing, making sure you're making the right decisions so we can help all of our friends out there in marketing communications do a better job. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. So there was a, a, some pretty interesting threads yesterday on, on LinkedIn about budget cuts on the marketing side. Um, you know, Forrester, I think, was part of this as well. So this, this had some independent uh, credibility to it. Uh, and the bottom line is that uh, even in very large companies, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, you're seeing a lot of these companies cutting their marketing spend by 30 to 50 percent. Now that, that you know, no one can peer into each one of these companies and independently confirm this, right? But that's the that's the report out anyway. I do think that one of the things that is though really uh, different about this situation. And this is this goes back actually a couple of years, well into the COVID period, is the amount of volatility and the high velocity of change 
means that pass is not prologue anymore, right? So you cannot base forward-looking decisions uh, uh, solely on what has worked for you in the past, what you believe in, however you wish to frame this, right? Uh, it's just not valid today, right? Well, I often say you really can't design you know, the future with the mindset of the past anyway. So frankly, you know, it's really important to talk to you today. Uh, uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm an advisor to proof the company that Mark runs. And I, you know, I've always believed in it conceptually because I think you have to measure it for it to, to really ultimately show what's going on. Now, obviously sales, is the you know final arbiter in terms of measurement but there are lots of things in the middle there the issue is we've seen a proliferation of data and tech companies come along and i think it's important to say okay what has gone on in the last couple of years mark how, how have you developed the company based on customers what are they saying what are analysts saying you know who's using your product today Sure. I mean, I think, and I was, you know, knowing that you guys focus a lot on uh, healthcare and biotech, and I was kind of thinking about a comparison in that space. And I was going back and forth with a, a chief data officer uh, last night that uh, used this analogy, and I thought it was just phenomenal, right? Um, he was talking about being data diabetic, right? So this is where companies are following a data first strategy instead of an analytics first strategy or a value based strategy. And so they're collecting a lot of data. They have huge amounts of data. And yet a lot of it is empty calories. Right. And so on the surface, they're ingesting all this food, the volumetric food that they're taking in is is very large and yet they're malnourished and that is a function of the way that they are failing to metabolize their data into analytics and insights and that's the big issue right and particularly when things are fluctuating a lot moving around a lot and past is not prologue anymore and all this kind of stuff if you're not able to forecast what the impact of a certain investment is and how long it's going to take to pay off, then there's no way for you to optimize it as you move forward. So not to mix metaphors here, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. What people really need today is a GPS, right? You think about it. When you're using the GPS on your phone, you're saying, this is where I am, or it knows where you are. This is where I need to go. And it gives you a route to get there. In business, that would be kind of like a route to value. It would be a forecast, right? This is how we think we're going to get to this goal. And then there's the GPS is tracking your progress. So this is all the stuff that you do. And it's also tracking all critically all this stuff around you that you don't control that can either speed you up or slow you down, right? Or make you stop altogether. Um, and if it encounters that kind of stuff, predictably or predictively, it is saying to you, hey, Jim, you know what? If you stay on this route, it was a good route before, but if you stay here, 
you're going to be stuck in traffic for an hour. You're going to miss your dinner. But if you coming up here, if you take a right and then a left and a right and a left, you'll it'll all be good, right? That is exactly what multivariable regression analytics does, particularly when it's automated. And just so we're all kind of clear on terminology, when Procter & Gamble created marketing mix modeling 30 years ago and continued to evolve it until the present day, it is grounded in multivariable regression analytics. So this is not AI, right? This is not machine learning. This is actual causal analytics, which is the really key thing. I mean, finding patterns in data is extremely important, very helpful, but it won't give you causality, right? It'll just kind of maybe suggest that this keeps happening again and again and again. And in the case of cancer treatment, right? If that pattern creates or ends up in people being cured, then clearly there's a link there. But it's still not a causal computation, which is what we're talking about here. So, Mark, you spurred something that Jim and I were talking about yesterday, and that is, um, and I think you sort of started to touch on this, privacy has started to make a huge difference in terms of what marketers are able to do, right? So you're someone, obviously, that I'm sure sees the impact of that. And part of the analogy Jim was making is that finding rare disease patients now has become a lot like what marketing used to look like because we have the tools, we have the data, but it's a lot of that same, that GPS process that you need, right? With all this regulation that goes along with it. Talk a little bit about sort of how you and you know your company have helped mitigate some of the issue of Apple and Facebook and Google taking away some of the cookie technology or making it harder to sort of get that personally identifiable information that you would use to target someone Obviously, it's made marketers need to be smarter and rely on different techniques, but let's let's dive into that a little bit, if you don't mind. Absolutely. I mean, I think that privacy is clearly one of the huge issues of our time. Um, the beautiful thing about using multivariable regression from a mathematical perspective, right, is that it doesn't require any personally identifiable information. It's all sanitized, 100%. In fact, it's all aggregated, right? So this is a macro level as opposed to multi-touch attribution, which is more micro. I think what the fallacy historically has been that you could somehow use journey data, multi-touch attribution data, to optimize marketing spend. And that's just mathematically incorrect right? Statistically incorrect. You, there is no linkage between those two. Time lag alone obviates that, right? So the, the bottom line here is, is that when Apple and Google and others started deprecating third-party data, it, it actually did marketers a huge favor because it started to wean them off of something that was quite honestly not valid to begin with. And if anybody wants to argue this beyond just the math, I would just ask this question. If MTA was truly effective in showing the value of marketing, why in the world are we seeing so many marketing budget cuts, right? I mean, one of the problems that we see a lot is that marketers 
are surveyed on these issues and they validate, oh yeah, absolutely, MTA or whatever it is is delivering is showing is helping us show value. No one goes to the C-suite of those companies and says, is that in fact true? Do you see the value of marketing because of the MTA data? The reality is, is that they would all say no. I mean, we, we've got huge amounts of survey responses that we've been conducting for four or five years now across the, the Fortune 1000 C-suites. These are hyper-targeted surveys. They don't see it at all. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of the acid test on this. And so privacy ultimately is should be marketers' friend, not their enemy. And certainly from an analytical perspective, there's no problem in dealing with an enhanced privacy environment. So what are analysts saying about proof um, and, and your new approaches and, and maybe some customers, what are they saying, Mark, in terms of the platform's applicability as a solution in this environment? Can you get a little more specific there? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that we need to probably start with the fact that we're using the same math as everybody else, right? So if you're doing marketing mix modeling with Newstar or Nielsen or Analytic Partners or whoever, right, it's the same math. And this has been around for so long that some of the algorithms that are still in use were written by Aristotle. So that, that kind of puts it into perspective. Um, the issue has always been, though, it, it, it's not been the math or even the data. The issue has been how hard it is to operationalize these analytics, so if you look at, for example, I'm not dogging on any of these, they're great companies, right? But you get two models, one or two models, but two to $3 million a year. The recompute time on the models is every six to 12 months, but then it takes usually another three months for them to process the outputs of the recalculation into something that is consumable by normal people. So then by the time you actually, as the customer, you get this analytic readout, even the forecasts are in the past. So from a relevance point of view, relevance to your decision-making process, it's not there. And so it's, that's been kind of the big, hairy challenge. That's certainly when I was CMO at Honeywell Aerospace, I was spending five, six, seven million dollars a year on this for exactly the same set of reasons, over hiring dramatically in order to speed up the recalc time so that the results became relevant, right? We could actually use them into the future. And no one complained about that am amount of money because everybody saw the value, but holy cow, it's still a lot of money. Um, and so we just said, hey, you know what? If there was ever an automation play, this is it. And so by automating not only the modeling and the recalculation and all that kind of stuff, but also the data flows and just the whole supply chain piece, um, we've gotten to where, you know, it's, it's essentially real time or relevant time, right? Businesses tend to measure things at a rate that they feel is relevant to their business cycle. So in aerospace, where deal flow can be measured in years, right? Things are measured monthly, 
you know, sometime rarely faster than that. But in retail, could easily be every five minutes or somewhere in between. It, in proof, once you get the model set up, right, which, uh, which takes you hours, not days, right, to do, every time new data is presented to that model at whatever velocity it's happening, it recalcs the model. And so what, what we started seeing, I don't know, four or five years ago, right, is the readout, the UX on this started behaving a lot like a GPS. It would say, okay, here's your forecast and here's your actuals. And based on the model, this is why there is a delta between these two things. Um, and then allows you to war game your response, right? And so the big thing here, of course, is that 60% of anything in our life is stuff that we don't control. So we're ultimately based on our feedback loops, our analytics, we're either surfing the wave well or poorly, right? We're either going to be a goat, meaning a all caps goat, or we're gonna be a small case goat, right? We're gonna, we're gonna end up a hero on the beach or we're gonna end up wiping out, right? That's really what it's all about in the end. It's not just about hey, here's the multiplier on your investment, your ROI and all this kind of stuff. It's actually, how do I get to my goal faster, better, cheaper than I otherwise would? So Mark, I have a question that's related to that because I think this is on the minds of a lot of people, especially with your opening statement of marketers are being forced to cut back budgets by 30 to 50%. And you're showing sort of that that mismatch in terms of marketing activities and downstream effect. Now there's a different flavor of that, right? We've gotten to a place where we can be so targeted now, this account-based marketing, that's good because you're wasting less money. But at the same time, one of the things that you are sort of losing sight of to a degree is some of these softer metrics. And so for us, being able to hire people because you have this reputation, being able to create this ecosystem, because Jim and I have really, I think, done a nice job over the years of folding people even like yourself into the real chemistry family. And if you weren't part of our target, you wouldn't know a lot of what was going on or be impacted by that. So how do you think about that? How do you help your target audience think about making sure that you don't overdo or over-rotate into that like ultra-targeted approach, but you leave that sort of mixed targeting the people you need to bring them into the fold to impact sales outcomes while not neutering yourself from a thought leadership or other activities that may have softer metrics, but have that sort of uh, brand impact, hiring impact, et cetera? That's a great question. I mean, I'm just going to start by saying this. I don't believe that today there are any such things as so-called soft metrics anymore. Uh, Brand is totally understandable today. uh, And that was historically pretty much the exemplar of that statement. I, I I would say this, particularly in the current macro environment, Your low-hanging fruit as a marketer is the impact that you have on the bottom half of the funnel, not the top half, right? So marketers' big error, and it's all understandable, right? So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not dogging on you when I say this, right? But their big error has been playing the sales game from a lead generation point of view and getting hyper-targeted at the top of the funnel. When actually, particularly in enterprise B2B sales, the action is 
how am I helping sales close deals faster? Because if you are closing deals faster, you're also probably closing more deals and your opportunity to close bigger deals goes up because the fundamental issue that drives deal velocity is confidence and trust. So if you are magnifying, if you're communicating to your customers why they can have confidence and trust in your company, that is going to happen. Is that what the Salesforce partnership is designed to address, Mark? Yeah, in part, absolutely. But also, Salesforce is seeing this as how do we help people close more deals, not originate more deals? So they're focused within their CRM, what they're emphasizing with customers and prospects with in terms of their CRM capability is this issue right here, because cash is everything, particularly as investor dollars dry up, all this kind of stuff starts to contract. If you can't essentially self-fund your business, you're going to have a problem. And so what is, what's the number one goal? The number one goal is cash flow. Well, what does that mean? Well, I got to actually close more deals, a higher percentage of deals, but I've also got to do it faster because if you invoice faster, you collect faster. Right. And then logically, you know, marketers are squeezed right now in their budgets. They can't spend more on measurement. They have to be able to find a solution that is cost effective, you know, which I think is another benefit of proof, right? So it's flexible, adaptable and cost-effective, you know, aka cost less money um, to produce a real-time result, which is what we're needing, right? You're going to have to show it in real time. You can't wait. Companies can't wait three months to, to find out. They need to know now. And proof allows them to know now, right? That's absolutely correct. So the deal with Salesforce too is that marketers need a lot of help in terms of organizing their operations, but planning, budgeting, asset management, all that kind of stuff, right? So we have the only MRM platform on Salesforce. It's new, contemporary, streamlined, fully deployable in 60 days or less. And it's the only one on Salesforce. And it's the only one that has integrated marketing mix modeling. And it's $49 a seat per month with no minimums, right? Now, obviously, you're going to need to buy at least one seat because the Salesforce administrator's got to have it. But you can buy whatever you need at that price. I was on a call yesterday with a CMO, and I asked him at the end of the call if there was anything else. And he goes, well, normally, I would ask about pricing, but he said, you made that really clear on your website. And he goes, and I would imagine that anyone who has a problem with that kind of pricing and those kind of terms isn't serious. I think that that's true. I did promise that we'd keep people honest on a uh, acronym perspective. So MRM is marketing resource management, if I'm not mistaken. I do have a final question for you both as we wrap up, because we're nearing the end of our conversation. What advice would you give to marketers? And you've just given some really good advice, Mark. But I'm going to start with Jim, and then I'm going to end with you, and we'll wrap these up. Jim, you've sat in the C-suite for a long time. You founded this company. You're now the chairman. What advice would you give to people like me who are marketers to help do their job better and to give you what you need and the rest of the C-suite what they need in terms of the right information and the right package? 
Well, I, you and I have worked together for 10 years. The, the answer is, to me, simple, and Mark's been going at it, right? I think the bottom line is always do fewer things better right. than more things bad. And, you know, I think having platforms like Proof, which are real-time and, you know, giving you information, you know, as you need it, in where it's relevant can help direct that. I think without any data, without any analytics, without any intelligence, you can't figure out what are those three or four things I got to do? Absolutely. And what are those three or four things I can stop doing that are not helping? And narrow that down and make sure what we're doing supports the KPIs and the objectives of the business. And by the way, you know, there's just no time anymore to get lost in the wilderness. You can't. You can't afford the breakdowns and the the loss of, so the GPS is so critical. It has to be working and you got to kind of have an idea of where you're going before you get there. Love it. Yeah. I would say this, right? Ask the questions, ask other people, what questions do you need answers to? Right. And you're, you're going to find out that they can rattle those off really fast. And there's going to be between 20 and 30 and if we had more time, I guarantee you, I could probably predict 19 of them, right? So they're, they're very standard. And the model creation reflects the hypothesis that needs to be tested. That's the answer to that question or the potential answer to that question. And so data and data choice and what you're measuring actually falls out the back end of this whole equation. This helps deal with the so-called data diabetes kind of thing, right? Because you don't need to be measuring. I guarantee you, you, I mean, just based on our customers' experience, they start to just stop measuring a whole bunch of stuff because it had something to do with somebody's job, but it's otherwise not relevant, right? It's not relevant to any of the analytics. So I would say number one is you got to sit down with your sales teams, with your C-suite, and you got to say, hey, help me frame this. I want to understand your questions because we are going to answer your questions to your satisfaction, and we have a way to get there. Well, and if you think about it from a GPS perspective, if you don't know where you're going, then how can the GPS help you, right? So that's a great way to end. It's the mic drop. Um, with that, we'll wrap up. I've had the pleasure here with Mark Stoos, who is the CEO and founder of Proof Analytics my co-host and also guest Jim Weiss, who uh, you've, you've gotten to know over the years on the show, who's our chairman and founder. Um, this was great. So thank you both. And thanks for everyone listening in. Hey, thank you very much. Want more episodes of the Real Chemistry podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Stitcher app, or iHeartRadio via the Health Podcast Network. Go to realchemistry.com for more info.